following is a presentation of Refuge Calvary Chapel, Huntington Beach. For more information about our ministry, please visit refugefamily.com. Lord, we turn our attention now to you. Lord, we, we turn our attention to you because we've come here for this reason, to hear from you, the living God. Lord, we want to hear from that God that we said is holy, holy, holy. And Lord, we come to this place to listen to your word by your spirit, Lord, that we might grow closer to you and closer to the people that you've called us to be. So Lord, would you do that this morning? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, I, I'm not a movie guy, uh, but 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 I know some of you are. You're, you're movie people. And, and you probably have a favorite line that just stands out to you in a movie that you could quote, and maybe you do often. Uh, but listen, I don't have any of those. I'm not a movie person, but I am a sports person. I am a sports person. And there's a sports memory that I have, and it's from 2002. Uh, and there was this team, this little tiny team called the Angels. And... <laughs> And they went and they rose to the top and they won the World Series. And it's a moment that I've held on to because I thought there would be other moments <laughs> along the way that would happen, but it's been 20 years now and it doesn't seem to be coming. But I remember that moment. I remember where I was. I remember watching it and I've watched it several times since then. Uh, and, and it's just a moment that for me is kind of like frozen in time that's, that kind of pops off the pages at me. Well, this morning, we're going to close off uh, Colossians. Uh, we've been traveling through it as a church. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 4, if you want to turn there. And, and there's a moment in Colossians that kind of pops off the page to me. That's kind of like, if I could say it, my favorite moment in Colossians. And so if you would, turn with me to Colossians chapter 4. Uh, but when you get to Colossians 4, I'm going to ask you to turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. Verse 13, verse 13, Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. There's this moment in Colossians that just kind of leaps off the pages. And I recognize you can't just say this is the best verse in the Bible or, you know, but you can say this is my favorite. I think you could do that. So I'm going to do that this morning, at least in Colossians. This is my favorite text. Here's what it says. Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. I love that. In whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. And then he goes on. He goes on to talk about Jesus and how Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And, and by Him all things were created, and in Him all things hold together. It's powerful. Look down at verse 20 now with me. And it says, And by Him, that's by Jesus, to reconcile all things to himself by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And you who were once alienated, that's me, that's you, and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death, that death that happened on the cross, to present you, listen, to present you and me holy and blameless and check this out, above reproach in his sight. Do you know that? That through the cross, and this is why I love this text, he, he, he says now you can, Jeff, you can step in front of the living God and you are above reproach. That he will hold nothing against you because of the cross. 
because of what Jesus did on the cross. His the desire, the Father's desire to reconcile all things, you and me both, to himself. The thing that we broke, he is making whole again. I love that text. And if you were with us over the last several weeks of this text, we talked about then, because that's true, that he's made the old new, that he's called us into his family, we should live lives differently than we did before. That that one central truth that we see throughout Colossians that pops off the pages at us, because that's true, then the old Jeff no longer should exist. Instead, I've stepped into newness of life, that I now live my life with a different purpose because the living God is reconciling me to himself. So this morning, as we look at Colossians chapter four, I believe Paul says, because you're new, there are four things that you're gonna do. There's four things that you should know that because you've been made new, these four things are going to be vital to you. So if you would, look at Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. Now you're saying, why verse 2? Well, we talked about verse 1 in the previous message. So we're going to verse 2. And here's what verse 2 says. And by the way, if I didn't say it already, four things. If you're a note taker, you just write those four things down and you always know where the, the preacher's at, right? So number one, number one of the four things, because you are a new creation in Christ, we will stay committed to prayer. Because you're a new creation in Christ, you and I, we will stay committed to prayer. Look at verse two. He says this, continue steadfastly in prayer being watchful in it with thanksgiving. What's Paul doing here? Paul's exhorting those new believers who've given their life to Christ to stay devoted, be continuous, don't stop praying. Now, I believe what he's saying here is, yes, have a prayer time, right? A time when it's just you and the Lord. But he's also saying, hey, as you walk about your day, be continuous in your prayer, We know this, pray without ceasing. Continue to be in relationship with that God who redeemed you and called you into his family. Don't stop talking to him. In fact, I believe what he would say to us this morning is if you have stopped praying, start praying again. Don't don't stop praying. He's saying be devoted in your prayer. Pray continuously. Be steadfast. Now listen, here's the thing, here's the truth. In the church, we love our prayer warriors, don't we? Don't we love the person that we know when we say, hey, would you pray for me? They're probably going to pray with us in that moment. They're going to put their arm around us and they're like, well, can we do that right now? Oh yeah, we love that. And then we know this about them, that tomorrow morning we're going to be on their prayer list and they're going to pray for us. We love that. Now, here's the thing. Some of us think, well, one day I'll reach that level, right? Some of us will think, well, one day I'll grow up and I'll be that person, right? But the reality is, listen, we all need to be those people who say, listen, I will pray because I believe prayer makes a difference, which is why Paul is saying, if you are people of God, be devoted to prayer. Pray steadfastly. What else does he say there? He says, be watchful in your prayer. In your prayer life, be watchful. Don't be mundane and boring and scripted. 
Can I get an amen? Sometimes we fall into that. Sometimes we fall into that. That we, we kind of just have the same thing that we pray for every morning, noon, and night. Maybe they're a little different in the morning and in the noon and in the night. But they kind of get scripted. And I think what Paul's saying here is be attentive to what's going on around you. Be attentive to the people and the life circumstances that are going on around you. Be attentive to the spiritual battle that's going on around you. He's saying in your prayer life, be watchful. Actually, it should be a vibrant prayer life that's changing all the time. That we don't just have this writ script that we're going to say each and every time. He's saying, be watchful. Do you see what else he said there as he closes off that first part? He says, be thankful. Be thankful. Be steadfast. Be watching what's going on around you and the lives around you. And also, regardless of the circumstance or the situation, he says, be thankful. You know where Paul is writing this from? You know, tell me. He's writing it from prison, right? He's sitting in prison and he's writing, and also in your prayer life, be thankful in all circumstances. It's like, holy cow, come on, Paul. Paul, weren't you shipwrecked? Yes. Haven't you been beaten for your faith? Yes. How can you write, be thankful in your prayer life? I mean, sometimes, listen, sometimes we get into circumstances that are difficult in our life. We walk through hard times, the valleys of life, and our prayer life goes up in smoke because we're frustrated with God, because our faith is being challenged. And we're like, I don't even want to talk to him right now, right? And Paul's saying the complete opposite should be true. That when you're walking through those difficult seasons, be thankful. In fact, there's this moment where Paul writes this in 1 Thessalonians 5.16. Here's what it says. Rejoice always. Right? Come on, Paul. Rejoice always. Why would I rejoice always? Here's why. Because God has redeemed me. He's reconciling me. He loves me enough to send his son to die for me. And he called me to be part of his family. Rejoice always, even in those difficult circumstances. He says, pray without ceasing. Don't stop praying, even in those difficult times. In fact, he says, in everything, give thanks. In all circumstances, give thanks. Even in those times of testing, and even in those difficult times, Paul says, give thanks. Listen to what he says. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now, Paul is able to say this because he's talking to a church that's walking through some difficult times, and he's encouraging him, he's exhorting them. You have changed. You're no longer who you used to be. Now, don't stop praying. Be steadfast, be devoted to your prayers, be watchful of what's going on, and be thankful. Can we do that? Is that something we can do as a church? I would encourage you again, if you've stopped praying, hey, start today. Pick it back up again, that conversation with the Lord as you walk about and having those certain prayer times where you say, listen, this is the time that I do the work of the kingdom as I pray for the people that I love and care for. Now, the second thing that he says to those people and to us, I believe, who've been changed, because you are new in Christ, here's what I want you to do, Paul says, I want you to pray for open doors of the gospel. I want you to pray, note takers, you can write this down. I want you to pray for open doors of the gospel. Look what he says here. And by the way, when he mentions open doors as he's sitting in prison, don't you think he would say, 
pray that the doors of these prisons would be open, right? That I could walk out and be set free. That's not what he prays for. Look what he says in verse three. At the same time, pray also for us that, the, that God may open to us a door. Yeah, the prison door, right? No, he says, for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Immediately I read that and I think Paul is so much better than me, right? I mean, Paul, you're in prison. And if we're in prison, aren't we praying that he would just get back at those people that put us in prison, right? Lord, teach them their ways, judge them, right? Or, or Lord, help them to see the error of their ways. I'm a good guy. How am I sitting here in prison right now? Like change their minds. Like that's what we would be praying for. Family, would you just call, would you just pray that it would take some, some years off my sentence? Pray for that. But that's not even what Paul said. Or, or Paul in Acts chapter 16, there's this moment where, where, where Paul is there, they're in prison because of the gospel. And there's this massive earthquake and the, the, the chains come off and the, the, the prison walls fall down and Paul could just walk out. Wouldn't you pray for that? Like, hey, here I am in prison, Lord. I could be used so much more out there. Would you just cause that earthquake thing, thing to happen again? Let those, the walls come down and let me get out of here. I would pray for that. Instead, he prays for that while I'm in prison, that the prison guard next to me, the guy who brings my food to me, or the prisoner in the cell next to me, Lord, would you just open the door for their hearts to receive Jesus? That's what he's praying for. That's his prayer. My prayer would be so much more selfish. But check out what he's doing. He's saying, listen, church, I'm here in prison. You're out and about. Would you just pray that as we're having conversations here in prison, that the door of their hearts would be open to receive Jesus? That's a powerful statement. Listen to what Paul believes. Paul believes that, that this is the most important thing in a person's life. Paul believes the gospel is the most important part of his life and whoever he would share it with. There's this moment where he says in Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. Paul's ready to go to jail for it. I'll do whatever I can to share the gospel. Look what he says. The gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who what? Somebody help me. Who believes. That, that Paul says, I'm an agent of the gospel. I'm an ambassador of Christ. And I believe with all my heart that if someone believes in the gospel... Their eternity is forever changed in a moment that they put their faith in him. Paul says, then, then why wouldn't I share this with anyone? And why wouldn't I have you, the church, pray for me as I'm sitting here in my jail cell to not have someone's eternity changed forever? And, and the same too is true of you and I. As we talk about this idea of this open door that he talks about, that God may open to us a door for the word so that we could declare the mystery of Christ. That open door is God's working on someone's heart. My guess is that at some point in your life, God worked on your heart. If you're a believer here today, then you would say, yeah, I remember that moment. There was this moment that I just strangely felt like God was leading me to take a step of faith and follow after him and to trust in him. 
My guess too is there were people who were probably praying for you who were saying, would you just change them? <laughs> would you just go to work on their heart, mind, and soul? And God said, listen, I'm going to open the door. And whoever was preaching or teaching or whatever conversation you were having with that person, you felt like, I don't know what else I could do, but step into that, that, that gospel message that they're preaching and teaching. I have to come forward. I have to raise my hand. I have to let you know that, that that was the moment that my heart and mind were changed forever. That's the open door that Paul is praying for. Now, let me ask you this. Are you praying for that? For those people that, that, that don't know Jesus in your life, at work, in your families? Are you praying passionately to say, Lord, would you just open the door for me to have that conversation? Because I believe that prayer changes things. I believe that, God, you want to interact with us and through us to those people who are lost, hurting, and broken. Think what Paul thinks here. He's like, I'm here in prison, but what I need to do is I need to get the church in Colossae. I need to get them praying that there would be open doors here in Rome as I'm sitting in prison. And I believe that if I write in this letter and they're faithful to praying, God is going to open more doors for me to share about the gospel, the power of God until salvation. People will, lives will be changed. Do you believe that? Do you still believe that there's power in prayer, that God will open doors as we pray and say, Lord, would you open more and more doors? And I would say this, we have an evangelism team. They're sitting over here and around actually, but some of it over here. That goes out. And, and what happens if the church were to pray, Lord, as they go out, as they get sent out, Lord, would you just open doors tonight for them? And we had it on our prayer list to say, God, would you do a work? What would happen if everyone this morning grabbed one of our missionary cards, which by the way, we don't mind running out of these. We'll order more. But that there are missionaries in our congregation, by the way, who've said to themselves, by the, by the working of God, I feel like we're called to Romania. By the working of God, I'm called to go down to Mexico. And I pray, Lord, that, that I'm making the right decision, that you're calling me to do this in my family. And, and I'm going to leave my family here in Huntington Beach. And I'm going to leave the job that I was working Here's why I want to do it, because I believe in the power of God unto salvation. And I believe there's people in Romania and Mexico that need to know Jesus and have a relationship with him. So I'm going to leave everything behind and I'm going to step out in faith. And what would happen if the church that sent them said, you know what, we're going to do what, the, what Paul was calling the Colossian church to do. We're going to pray for open doors so that when they stepped out in the morning in whatever country they were called to, and they were just looking for someone to share the gospel with, there was a church behind them saying, I've been praying for open doors for you. And you began to hear testimonies of, of the, just the little gospel seeds that were being planted because there was a church saying, I'll pray for you. I'll pray for you. Now, I would just encourage you by the end of this morning, as you leave, grab one of these cards. You don't have to grab every single one of them. Don't get crazy here, people, right? <laughs> I, mean, I mean, if you want to, you can. But even just grab one and say, I'm going to pray for the Kenans this morning, that as they're doing ministry with kids in the streets of Romania, that I'm going to pray that, that God would just open the door of the gospel for them, that, that, that both of them would be able to like share the gospel with those kids that need to know him. 
And, and then we just begin to do that as a church. And we use these cards, not just as a way to line and decorate our hallway, but actually we use these cards to pray for those people and to pray for open doors. I think that's what Paul's saying. He's saying, church, be steadfast and devoted to prayer, right? Don't stop. If you stop, start praying again. Be in conversation with him. Secondly, here's what I want. Would you pray for open doors so that we could share the gospel here in prison? And I believe that prayer makes a difference. It'll impact the hearts and the minds and the souls of many. Listen to what he says. Open doors, open doors, and prayer will make an impact. I love what he says in verse 4, that I may make it clear, right? I want to be clear with the gospel So we got two now. Because we are new in Christ, we're going to be devoted to prayer. We're also going to pray for open doors. And then we move on to three. And Paul's going to say in in three that we would walk in wisdom towards those who don't believe. Because what could be the mindset here, follow me on this. We've got Paul. Paul's really good at sharing the gospel. He's like, really good at it, right? I mean, this guy starts churches. He walks into towns that are uh, anti-Yahweh and pro-multiple gods. Like they worship many, many gods. And Paul will just walk in, start sharing the gospel, and, and God will use him, and a church will start in that place. Let's just use Paul, right? He's good at it right? He's, he's the one that really is called to share the gospel, right? You could have that mindset. The church kind of sometimes has that mindset. Well, let Bill do it, right? He's very good at it, right? He's great at sharing the gospel and he doesn't mind it. He just likes to walk in and start conversations, random conversations with people anywhere, all the time, at any point, he will start a conversation and try to lead them to Jesus in the conversation, Let's just let Bill do it, right? We'll pray for Pastor Bill uh, on the plane. I think he's on a plane right now uh, that he would have an open door. And we'll just do that all the time. Bill will be the guy who shares the gospel, right? But that's not at all the truth. The reality is, secret is, that you could be so much better and more effective than any pastor on sharing the gospel. Here's why. Because you don't have the title next to you, pastor, that immediately upon some people finding out that you're a pastor, turns them completely off. I don't need to listen to you. I know what's coming on this plane flight, right? I know what's going to happen. You're going to try to lead me to Jesus. Whereas you go in incognito, right? You're like, hey, I'm a teacher and I love Jesus. And I want to share with you the hope that I have in Jesus. I'm an engineer, right? I'm an engineer and I love Jesus. I'm a doctor and I love Jesus. And and people are like, oh, I'll listen to that guy. I'll listen to that lady, right? You have a great opportunity. And so Paul's saying to the church, yeah, pray for my open doors. I want to be able to share effectively as I'm here in Rome, the gospel. But here's the thing, guys. I'm going to be praying for open doors for you because I believe God is going to open doors in your week, in your days, for you to have a conversation about the gospel, that he's actually going to call you to go out and share the gospel as well. And how you walk amongst the non-believing world around you matters. And so that's why he says, walk in wisdom to those non-believers. Walk in wisdom towards non-believers. Look at verse five. Look what he says here. 
walk in wisdom towards, he uses the word outsiders, those that don't believe, making the best use of the time. Let your speech (laughs) always, look at the word there, always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Now, under this walk wisdom, walking in wisdom towards non-believers, I think he gives us three little tidbits, three little helps. That first one uh, that he will tell us, listen, as you walk out this, this time in life around non-believers, make sure that you walk in a way that doesn't turn them off from Jesus right? Make sure you walk in a way that doesn't turn them off for Jesus. Now, maybe we would say this, that doesn't close the door that he's trying to open to them, right? God's like, I'm working on that guy, Jeff. I'm working on, by your actions and attitude, don't shut that door, right? Keep it open. Keep the conversation going. Here's what I see. There there are times, by the way, that the church responds to people, right? Lost people, hurting people, broken people, people that don't know Jesus by our actions and attitudes, sometimes with pride and with arrogance, sometimes with our our lack of character and integrity, maybe in the workplace, that actually we close the door on people ever wanting to know Jesus. Instead, here's what we should be more about. Let me tell you this, compassion, empathy, walking a mile in their shoes, knowing their story, listening to them. How did you get there? The things that you're saying are so vile. I want to know as a believer, not that I'm against you, but how did you get to that point where you're able to say and believe the things that you're saying and believing? I want to walk in your shoes. What happened that you got so far away from the person that God is calling you to be? I don't want to be against you. Paul's, think about Paul. He's in Rome. There's lots of things he could look around and think, that's vile. That's disgusting. What are you doing? But Paul's heart's not that at all. In fact, he's encouraging the church. He's saying, listen, don't close the door that God is trying to open by your actions and your attitudes. He's saying, walk in wisdom to those people who don't believe. Walk in wisdom. Here's what he says second. He says, look at what he says. He says, making the best use of your time. You have a limited amount of time with these people, right? The people that you work with or or the people that you're you're hanging out with in the coffee shop. And and maybe quite frankly, even with your family, those people who don't believe or people you had an issue with over time, you have a limited amount of time with them. And Paul's encouraging and saying, church, You have a limited amount of time with them. Make the best use of your time. Don't waste your time on things that aren't important. Don't waste your time on anger and bitterness and rage. He says, instead, instead, try to be understanding. In fact, he uses these words as we look at the third point. He says, as we walk in wisdom towards these people, what you say matters. Look at verse six again. Let your speech always be gracious seasoned with salt so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. And each person there are those people who don't believe. He's wanting you to say, he wanted you to understand, listen, what you say to them matters. And look what he says, always be gracious. Always, always be gracious. But you don't know my uncle, right? You don't know my aunt. You don't know my cousin. 
You don't know my son or my daughter. I mean, the words that they say to me, right? You don't know my coworker. He's saying, listen, but always when you talk with them, be gracious, represent Christ well, even at a cost to you. He's saying, always be gracious. The idea of salt there, seasoned with salt, salt meant a couple different things in the first century. But in our context here, what I think he's saying is, let it taste good. When you have that conversation, let it be seasoned with salt, something that tastes well, that's attractive in the way that you approach them and talk to them. Look what it says. This is the picture, I, I the image that I got. When you talk to them, is it sweet or is it sour? Is it sweet or is it sour? When you step into the room, are they like, yes, she is so gracious and loving and kind. He, he is such a valuable part of our company. We love when he steps into the room and he, he's so listening and caring and compassionate. He represents Christ well. Is it sweet or is it like, oh gosh, sour. look at that face. That kid's face says it all, right? Is that the face of people when you walk into the room? Oh no. She's back. He's back again. Yeah. <laughs> right? That's Paul's point. He's saying, let it be sweet. Always be gracious. Seasoned with salt. We know this is important in our culture. I think one of the things that we see oftentimes is that it's the us versus them. It's the, it's the us versus them. And I think when Paul is talking and writing this, he's saying, I want you to always be devoted to praying. I want you to pray for open doors and, and how you approach the world around you matters. It's not us versus them. It's you entering out in a light into the darkness. And you are sweet to them because you have the fragrance of Christ upon your life. That actually they want you there because of who you are in Christ. Because of what you represent and who you truly are. In fact, Paul, Peter says this, 1 Peter 3.13 now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? And actually, quite frankly, he answers his own question here. There will be people who will try to harm you if you go out with a mentality of compassion and loving kindness and grace. There will be people who will come against you. Look what he says. But even if you should suffer, because you're going to suffer if that, you have that mentality, but if you suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. That God is going to bless you even if you were wronged for being righteous in his eyes. He says, have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. I believe what he's saying there is that you don't have to know the whole entirety of scripture. It would be great to do that. And all the key verses, that would be great as well. You probably will need that eventually. But he's saying, even if someone were to approach you and say, why are you a believer? That you would be able to articulate in a gracious way how it is that you have the hope of salvation in Jesus. That you'd be able to share with them your testimony what it looked like for you and how you came to know him. Even if they war against you, you'd be able to make the argument for why I believe what I believe. And look what he says. How we do this matters. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. 
What if I'm doing it online? Do I still have to do it with gentleness and respect? I mean, what if I go under a different name? Can I use a different name and go... No, he said, always do this with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, you mean they're going to slander me for just sharing the gospel, for being gracious and compassionate and kind and gentle and respectful? Yes, they will still slander you. Listen, that when they slander you, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. You can't say that about him. He's such a great part of of who we are as a company. He's so gracious and kind and humble. She's such a valuable part of our family. You can't say that about her. Her actions speak louder than her words. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. I think Paul's saying, I'm all in on this. That as you walk about your day, that you should have main focus. God, would you open the doors and Lord, help me not to close them by my actions and attitudes. Help me to be wise, according to our scripture, towards those who do not believe and help my attitude always to be on point with yours. Paul says this, one last one, 1 Corinthians 9.19. It says, though I am free and belong to no one, I have made my slave to who? To everyone. Think about that for a second. I've submitted my life to the living God to serve everyone, even if it costs me everything. Paul, what? Really? That's such a hard life to live that we would that we would serve people with respect and gentleness, even if they don't agree with us? He's saying, yes. I've made myself a slave to everyone. Why would you do that? Look what he said. What? To win as many as possible to Christ. And he goes on here. We won't read it, but he says, I did that to the Jews. I became like a Jew. I did that to the Gentiles. I became like a Gentile. I did. I'm doing everything I can to win as many as possible. Look what he says. He says, to the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I became all things to all people so that by all possible means, I might save even just some, even just one, even just the jailer who brings me my food. I'll sit here in prison and ask the people in the church to pray to open his heart so that even just that one person would have an eternal life change. Look what he says, just some. He says, in fact, I do all things for the sake of the gospel that I might share in its blessings. Now, we've gotten through the first three. He says, now, this is not just for Pastor Bill. This is just not for the professional Christians, right? He says, listen, this is for those whose lives have been changed by Jesus Christ. This is for all people whose lives have been changed for Jesus Christ and are now walking in newness of life. They're going to have a prayer life. They're going to be devoted to prayer. That's not me. Okay, I got to pick it back up again, right? I got to keep praying. The Lord's calling me to as a, as a new creation in him. I, I'm going to be about the gospel. I'm going to pray for open doors. I'm praying for that, even now. The third thing he says, listen, he says, listen, pray for open doors to share the gospel And how you walk matters. How you approach people who don't believe 
matters. These are important things for those of us who are new in Christ. And then he closes in our fourth point, the fourth thing he says, he says, you don't do this alone. Can I get an amen? amen? You don't do this alone. Look around you this morning. This is incredible. There's people around you who are in the same boat as you are, wanting to honor Jesus with their life, wanting other people to know Jesus and have eternal life change. There's people all around you. So you don't do this alone. In fact, Paul didn't do this alone. Paul had other people, men and women in his life, who encouraged him and comforted him and strengthened him to be the Paul that we all know, right? I mean, the thought process is we always hear about Paul, but yet there's a whole team of people that have come behind Paul, and he actually closes Colossians off naming some of those names. Here's the cool thing. I'll just tell you. By the way, we're going to close off here in just a second. But we have an awesome team here at Refuge. And if you were to walk into our offices uh, any given day, except for Friday, the office is closed, but any other given day, you will see a team of people who are gifted in different ways, who feel, fill different holes that are important within the body of Christ using their gifts. Here's the other cool thing I hope you would see is there's a lot of joy and laughter and, and prayer on that team weekly, daily. It's a cool thing to see and to be a part of. And, and, and Paul, I think as he's looking at it, he's kind of seeing this is kind of like the staff. These names that we're going to read are, are kind of like his people that he's with on a regular basis that he cares deeply for. One of the things that's happened on our church staff over the years is that you, as you get to know people and who they are, you, you start to love them and care for them. And they really, in so many ways, become like your family. And, and it's, it's, a, it's an amazing bond that happens. It's so cool. And I believe Paul has that with these people who are about ready to read. There's a certain bond and care and love that he has for these people. And so let's take a look at some of those names as we read this in, in verse 7. These are Paul's kind of ministry family and people he's done ministry with. Look what it says here in verse 7. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. Listen to how he describes Tychicus. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister. And look what he says, and fellow servant in the Lord. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with Onesimus, again, faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, probably from Colossae. They will tell you of everything that has taken place. Now, Tychicus is actually in four other books of the Bible, right? So if this name that maybe you're hearing for the first time this morning, actually he's been with Paul on a different occasions. He's delivered letters for Paul before. So we know this, Paul trusts Tychicus, right? In fact, he calls him a beloved, a loved brother. And by the way, guys, you know, as he's sending this letter across, this one who brings this letter to you, he, he's a faithful servant. Man, he is, a, he is a man of God. And he has meant so much to me in ministry. Would you love him? Would you care for him? He's coming to give you the letter, but he's also going to encourage your faith as well. Then there's another name. What's the other name? Onesimus. Somebody help me, Bible scholars. Where else do we see the name Onesimus? 
Philemon, right? At the very near the end of your Bible, there's a book of, there's a letter to Philemon. And now the, the whole book kind of revolves around Philemon and Onesimus. And here Onesimus' name pops back up. Onesimus was a slave that ran away from his master who was Philemon. Now Onesimus runs, he's not a believer at the time, and he bumps into this guy named Paul, right? Imagine bumping into Paul. And his life is changed. And not only is it changed just for his own purposes, but now look what Paul says of him, beloved brother. He, he's, he, I've come to love him. And so the book of Philemon then is Paul writing back to Philemon saying, here's what I want you to do. I want you to look at Onesimus differently than you did before. He is now a believer. He's now a brother in Christ. And I want you to set him free. And the other thing too, I want you to know is that if he owes you anything, if he's stolen anything from you, those were his old days. I'll go ahead and take care of it. I'll cover the cost. That's what Paul says. He says, I want you to see Onesimus differently now because he's a believer. And by the way, he's ministered to me while I've been in prison in Rome. Such a cool moment. You can see how much Paul seeing this new believer and a life change in Onesimus would have loved Onesimus. Look at verse 10. We learn about three other guys. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God. And they have been a, what's that word he says? They've been a comfort to me. Look what he says there. These are the only men among the circumcision. These are the only Jewish brothers that I've had here in Rome with me that have comforted me. These are the men that stood beside me. You know, now imagine how sweet this is, right? That, that Paul's in Rome. He's in a, a Gentile area, right? Paul is, is Hebrew by birth, right? He's, he's Jewish. And, and God brings along these three men who would have understand Jewish customs, could minister. Hey, remember Paul? Remember when we were boys and we used to, we used to remember the Yahweh on this day? Remember how we'd break the bread? And that would have been so comforting as Paul's away from home and he's in this primarily Roman Gentile area and, and they're having these conversations about what it was like to be Jewish and the, the, the heritage and the memories that they would have had and how that would have been such a comfort to Paul as he's so far away from home. And he says, listen, these three men, they've, they've comforted me. In fact, Mark, you know what Mark, what uh, letter or book Mark wrote, don't you? Mark, there you go. Good job. Good job, everyone. Nice job. He wrote Mark, and there's a whole story that we don't have time for, but there's a moment where, where Paul says, I don't even want Mark to go with us. Mark's not, he, I don't want him to go with us. And that's where Barnabas steps in. He's like, well, I'll take him with me. And we find out later on that he's actually related to Barnabas. So there was a little family uh, love there. But what we see here, the ending times, is Mark and, and Paul have reconciled their relationship. And Paul's saying, I'll give Mark a second chance. Mark, in fact, he says here, has been what? What's the word? A comfort to me. He's been a comfort to me. There's been a restoration of his relationship. Then we meet this guy. His name is Epaphras. Epaphras, who is one of you, he says. And in fact, we know from Colossians 1, 7, at the very beginning of Colossians, we see his name there. In fact, what we find out probably is that he's the one who started the church in Colossae. 
uh, was a part of the starting of the church and the bearing fruit in Colossae. And now what he's done is he's come to say to, to Paul in Rome, hey, here's what's going on. Here's what's going on back in the church of Colossae. And, and you need to know there's false teachers that are coming in. And, and maybe some faith is waning. Paul, what do I do? Paul, what, what should we do in this moment? He's probably coming to get wisdom from the apostle Paul. God, Paul, what would we do when the faith is waning and these teachers are coming in? Help us, help us. And so Paul says this about Epaphras. He greets you. Always, look what he says, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. That's what he's praying for you, for you that you would, that as you struggled, that he is praying for you, that you would stand fully assured. Verse 13, for I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Look what he says there. He says, listen, this is, this is Pastor Epaphras' heart for you, that you would stand fully assured of the gospel of who Jesus is. Now, wouldn't it make sense then that as Paul is writing by the power of the Holy Spirit, the things that we studied, he's the fullness of God. This is the image of God on the face of the earth. By him, all things were created and held together. So as Paul's writing that, because he's heard that people are waning in their faith and understanding of who Jesus is, doesn't it make sense that he sends that letter back to Colossae to say, here's who you need to know Jesus truly is. It's incredible. Then he goes on. He says, Luke, verse 14, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Now, Luke also wrote a book. Do you know what that one's called? Good job. And Acts. Luke and Acts. Good job, everyone. Luke and Acts. Demas's story is a little bit more drastic uh, because we find later on in 2 Timothy 4.9, uh, Paul writing to Timothy says, For Demas has forsaken me. Demas has forsaken me, having loved his present, this present world and is departed from Thessalonica. So actually, this, this Demas actually leaves the team, leaves the family, walks away. So that's an interesting thing that Paul would even add that in there. By the Holy Spirit, he's writing, hey, Demas was once a part of what we were doing, and now he's walked away. Then Paul says, lastly, verse 15, Give my greeting to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha, and to the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of, of the Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to our Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. And look at how he closes off verse 18. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains and grace be with you. I think what he's saying here is this letter is going to be passed around. It's not just going to be for the church of Colossae, but it's actually going to make its way, its rounds. In fact, it's going to make its rounds all the way to here, right? That we're actually going to get to read this letter that Paul wrote to this church in Colossae. I love the exhortation to Archippus. Look what it says in 17. See that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I think that's a great parting word for us as we kind of close off our time for Colossians. You have been redeemed by him. You've been saved by him. You have relationship with him. And then I think he would say the same thing to all of us. 
See that you fulfill the ministry that God has called you to. Let me ask you this. What is God calling you to? I mean, just this morning alone, stand up Sunday. Hey, let's support those that are in the foster and adoption ministries. Let's support them. There's one thing. That's just one small thing that you could say, yeah, I feel like the Lord may call me to that. You heard about us praying for our missionaries. What's the ministry that God is calling you to? Now, I think some of us think mindset is, well, I don't know if I could lead an entire ministry. I've got so many. But what if you just started somewhere? What if you, like Archippus, as he's saying, listen, see to it that you fulfill the ministry that God has put on you, not on Jeff, not on your husband or your wife, not on your roommate, not on your friend, but on you. What is the ministry that God is calling you to? I wonder what would happen if we just kind of started stepping out in faith and saying, God, maybe you're calling me to be a prayer warrior for these missionaries that open doors. I think one of the things I would say that's unquestionable to all of us this morning is that we are called to pray, right? And we're called to pray for open doors and we're called to share the gospel. And I would just tell this, you're doing it right now. We're called to be a part of this family called the church. And, and when we do that, we support each other. We give each other, uh, as Paul said, we comfort each other. There's times when we exhort each other and we move each other along in our walk with him. It's a, it's a God-ordained uh, thing that we are together as the body of Christ. So let's maximize our time together. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, you are amazing. You're incredible. Thanks for these reminders this morning that you have called us to be your people. There was a moment where you opened the doors of our hearts to receive you. And when we stepped into those doors, you called us to be different than who we were before. And you called us actually, Lord, into action to be those people that would pray for open doors. And then when those open doors happen, Lord, to give us the to give people the hope that you've given us to share that gospel message. And so, Lord, I pray this morning as we go about our week that this would be heavy upon our hearts. They'd be clear in our minds. And Lord, I know as, as we talk about ministry this morning, there are some that you're calling to step out in faith and head into some sort of ministry, no matter what it might be. Maybe it's the ministry of prayer and reconciliation. Maybe it's the prayer, the ministry of sharing the gospel. Maybe it's a Bible study that you want us to, to attend or to start to teach. Whatever that is, Lord, I pray you make that so clear upon us. Lord, we thank you for this morning. Thanks for the, the, the word at work and the spirit at work inside of us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been a presentation of Refuge Calvary Chapel Huntington Beach. For more information about our ministry, please visit refugefamily.com or call 714-891-9495. Set free.